Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I'm pleased today to welcome my friend and former colleague, Bubaka Bogu. Bubaka is a mining engineer by training, but has 30 years work experience in the public and private sector. He has been leading the World Bank operational activities on mineral policies, supporting programs in Africa and Central Asia. He worked in the private sector on all cycles of mining operations and participated in listing a company on the London Stock Exchange. At present, he works for the World Bank, where he also led and co-authored the World Bank's publications on mining taxation, including how to improve mining taxation administration and collection frameworks, a source book and transfer pricing in mining with a focus on Africa. He also coordinated with the IMF, the preparation of the joint and only IMF World Bank publication on extractives titled Administering Fiscal Regimes for Extractive Industries. Otherwise, he holds a master's degree in mining engineering, economics, and an MBA. Bubaka, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you, Sheila, for this introduction. It is a pleasure to be here. That's wonderful. So I wanted to really speak with you about uh, taxation in the mining industry because of the work that you have done both in terms of uh, policy advice, but also in terms of uh, publications. So let's just start about taxation per se. What do we know about trends in terms of uh, tax policy and tax collection in minerals? Sheila, in terms of tax policy, there is uh, quite a bit of consensus among experts on what a balanced fiscal regime for extractives should look uh, like, where uh, there is really some work to be done um, is the tax collection dimension. If one looks at uh, the past 10, 15 years, there, 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 there is a significant awareness and, and discourse and publications on the level of uh, tax collection uh, from the mining sector and on the fact that it is below its potential. Um, publications by the high level panel of the African Union uh, in 2015, which identified $50 billion being lost um, from the continent through illicit financial flows and the underlying analytics of this work showing that extractives are a big part of it. Or publications by the UNCTAD uh, last year uh, stating that 20, uh, $40 billion were lost just in extractives. The numbers uh, are big. Uh, the methodologies are a subject of debate but what is really not a subject of debate is that the potential is not achieved in terms of the collection of taxes. So that's one sort of big point, I think, that one observes. The second sort of big point I would point to is the availability of, by now, comprehensive and extensive how-to documents, toolkits, publications to help countries in putting in place the types of systems capacities that are needed to drive compliance. 
This being said, the reality is that uh, there is quite a bit of emotional debate around the subject matter and quite a bit of changes of laws, regulations, negotiations or attempts at negotiations. And one does not necessarily see a commensurate action from countries to really plug the holes. Uh, there are indeed activities, attempts, uh, undertakings, but they are, in my view, below where they should be. Hmm. So you've said quite a lot. What, what I'd like us to do is to discuss a couple of things one after another. First of all, could you quickly define for our listeners what you mean by illicit flows? That word is not self-evident to the average person. Right. Illicit flows are defined by the use, the transfer, or the sourcing of revenues uh, that are essentially uh, deviating from what they should be. And uh, this could be through uh, commercial transactions where uh, the sourcing or the transfer is not uh, in line with the laws. It could be through corrupt practices. It could be through crimes and so on and so forth. But for the extractives, it's really a matter of underpayments, uh, be it uh, uh, of taxes or, or under various types of under declarations, which in effect at the end, uh, tend to reduce the amount of revenues collected on the continent through the extractive sector. Mm -hmm. So really it's, it's, it's companies finding mechanisms either through uh, overstating uh, cost of operations or understating the revenue they derive. Either way, the result is that they are then in a position to repatriate rather than pay tax in the countries in which they operate. And, and the illicit nature of these practices that it really does not comply with uh, the laws of the country in so far as the goal is to maximize revenue. It, would, would that be uh, generally how, how we would uh, bucket illicit flows? That's exactly how it would be um, uh, a, a good way of pre presenting it. I think there is another dimension, Sheila, of the equation, which is the dimension that some, you know, the illicit by definition is looking at the illegal dimension of the equation. There may be, and there are actually legal ways of really minimizing taxes. And, um, and that's part of the bigger sort of uh, discourse on the matter in the sense that you would find that a lot of countries simply don't have adequate regulations adequate laws, adequate systems, processes, adequate coordination between various institutions tasked with revenue matters. And I'm talking about revenue authorities talking to technical ministries in properly handling. So the net effect is that while the later may be legal, it 
um, may not be moral, but the net effect for a, a country is that it's not collecting all it should be collecting. Hmm. So uh, you, you also made uh, an important point, which is that in an attempt to plug uh, this uh, gap leading to illicit financial flows, there's been quite a lot done, including changes in pieces of legislation, coming back to the table to renegotiate, but, but that in your observation, that falls short, but you also imply that, that what is missing is what you call toolkits. Can you just uh, elaborate a little on the difference between these mechanisms and what you call uh, ideal and comprehensive toolkits? I think, Sheila, there is really uh, between uh, the multilateral organizations, be it the World Bank, the IMF, the OECD, to name a few, a number of civil society organizations, a number of bilaterals, really for a country that is interested in strengthening the administration of the collection of extractive taxes, it is my view that there is more than enough how-tos, methodologies, and you know, including on the continent of Africa for that matter. It is my sense that is enough capacities in Africa, in the African diaspora, and enough uh, goodwill out there to support Africa in collecting its due taxes. Where there is a, an issue uh, that needs to be dealt with is the political economy of natural resources together with the political economy of tax administration. You know, to sort of unpack it in a more comprehensive manner, uh, there are attempts, as I said, um, and undertaking to strengthen tax administration capacities. But it is also my experience that all revenue authorities are not necessarily interested in clear, transparent, comprehensive uh, how-tos because of the political economy of tax administration. I don't know if that's clear enough. Uh, it's clear to me, but I, I wonder whether you can be more specific about the relationship between the lack of political will and the political economy, because the, the implication is that the political economy phenomena is getting in the way of that willpower. That's, that's it. Uh, what I'm saying is that it is my experience that not all revenue authorities are interested necessarily on clear, transparent definitions, processes, uh, systems that minimizes the uh, uh, discretion, if you wish, in assessing taxes on one side. Of course, uh, not all companies are necessarily either interested in such uh, processes. It is always a continuum from the better to the good to the 
not so good ones. So at some point, um, one really comes across uh, some officers that are not necessarily uh, very much interested in transparent matters. So it's just to say that this is not one-sided issue, i.e. it's not only the companies, revenue authorities, and for many reasons uh, are not necessarily always keen on applying all the tools that are out there. Yes, I, I imagine that is that there would be some conflict of interest. Now, assuming there is a uh, uh, political will in the uh, mining sector, we speak of uh, mineral audits. And I, I wonder whether you could just briefly explain what we mean by the concept of mineral audits and how, if at all, they might be helpful in strengthening the capacity of governments to collect tax from mineral projects. And the mineral audit is really one of the critical elements of the verification processes. Uh, what happens uh, normally is that at the end of uh, a, a given year, uh, there is a process of verification of the payments. And as part of that process, um, there is some analysis that is uh, ongoing or that is done to see whether the, uh, there is a divergence in the payments or whether the ratios that uh, uh, come out of preliminary assessments are uh, in line with what is to be ex expected. So this first sort of assessment uh, leads uh, when there are significant divergence to a series of analytical work to try to understand, or at least that, that's how it should be, um, the, the performance or the underperformance in terms of tax payments, whether this is something that is due normally to broad industry context, i.e. whether the whole sector is uh, affected materially to explain um, the divergence or whether it's a specific commodity uh, whose prices uh, had gone uh, down or costs had gone up or whether this is linked with a specific business um, and, and or uh, its, its functions. Uh, and, and then uh, it is a matter of really looking into the functions that had been performed within a country where can explanation be found on the underperformance uh, of the profitability uh, that uh, is impacting the taxes? And depending on the uh, answer to uh, the analytical work on those various dimensions, then the next steps are uh, undertaken. And the next step is really to take uh, the particular business and try to compare, to look at its own history uh, and the trends and try to compare it with similar uh, operations and, and try to see if there is anything to be uh, uh, addressed and assessed. And if that is the case, then adjustments are done and depending on the legislation, there may be penalties or not. Ultimately, um, it is really, uh, a risk assessment uh, 
to the payments uh, in the end that, um, that is done through an audit when uh, the performance and the ratios are significantly diverging from what is to be expected. Hmm. So this is, uh, uh, I try and uh, paraphrase you. So a host government start off with an assessment of what the uh, tax revenue is likely to look like. That's the first thing. Uh, right. And then the tax is paid. And if we are okay, we're in the same place, the estimates, the, the preliminary assessments are consistent with uh, the actuals, then we move on. Here you are saying audits uh, can sometimes be triggered by the uh, gap between what we expected and what we're getting. And that right. they don't necessarily mean somebody has done anything wrong. There are several factors that can cause that diversion and they vary from external market Absolutely. factors some are very project specific, but others are also right. very commodity specific. This right. is what I understand. That's exactly right. So really, how do, uh, so, so who does the tax auditing? Is it the uh, receiver of revenue or do governments typically have another unit? Uh, because we spoke of lack of political will. Is there another unit that will then do this audit and then present as a kind of tax assessment to the uh, collector to then follow through, or is it typically just under the same roof? Well, typically it's the revenue authority um, and the revenue authority, depending on circumstances, may have a large taxpayers unit that handles all large taxpayers, including extractives. And in some cases, they do have specialized units within uh, the large taxpayers unit that uh, cater for, 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 for extractives. I think, Sheila, what really matters, uh, uh, or what I'm trying to convey is that there is the tax dimension and there is the industry dimension. And, and the revenue authority by definition are not necessarily always equipped to understand the broad industry, the specific market, and sometimes even the specific business. That is where it is really paramount that there is a collaboration and a cooperation between revenue authorities and technical ministries, because you would find that on the technical side, the people who understand some of those questions are not from the revenue authorities, but normally nothing prevents various departments. In fact, they should be working together, collaborating so that the picture is clear and so that when an audit is done, it's really done on a, a strong analytical basis as opposed to perhaps somebody who doesn't understand some dimension of the industry, you know, coming up with uh, conclusions that could have otherwise been different. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, auditing is both a science and, and if you wish an art form. So my assumption is that when we have this difference of view, already uh, there's a potential if you wish, conflict. Are there ways by which third parties can reconcile the views of 
are the collector of revenue and the views say of the company that is supposed to pay tax because clearly if the company has said this is the tax that is due already they've stated their case and if the government says no you're wrong then that calls for some kind of adjudication what are processes by which uh this divergence can be narrowed I think there are really a, 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 a quite a few of them. Uh, one of the ways, because I mean, uh, uh, it can be a long and expensive endeavor, both for revenue authorities, but also for companies that are involved. Uh, and, and so the question is the, the strength of the analytical base and, and at times when, um, you know, capacities with, within civil services are not sufficient, really nothing in my view prevents uh, revenue authorities to reach out to specialized industries, um, uh, tax specialists that, that can help them because the private sector does quite a bit of that. Um, there are really uh, quite a number of cases where tax litigation within countries end up with um, arbitrations and so on and so forth. But it is also perhaps a point to be made here that the goal certainly, as I see it, uh, should be um, at least dual. One, one is to redress um, uh, wrongs of the past through uh, the existing legal and uh, regulatory provisions. And another dimension of it should be looking at the future and providing guidance and clarity to the taxpayer so that in the future, uh, whatever um, a shortcoming had uh, led to a potential litigation that this shortcoming is not to be repeated. Mm. So, uh Earlier on, you, you made mention of the high-level panel of the AU, which led to, uh, uh, among others, this uh, focus on trying to reduce at least the level of illicit uh, flows, uh, most of which in value terms accrue to extractives. Could you explain what the mandate of the high-level panel is and uh, what in the short term is expected? Uh, by way of trying to address the, the problem in which the continent is now uh, a short of something in the order of 50 million, the bulk of 50 billion, the bulk of which is in extractives? Right. The high level panel had been uh, mandated by the AU to look at the question, and they came up with a, uh, a report and a set of recommendations. And the AU had. Uh, task them to follow through with the implementation of the recommendations. And they have put in place uh, under um, uh, the leadership of the former president uh, of South Africa, uh, President Mbeki, um, uh, and a working group that is made of really a number of uh, organizations from Africa and beyond that are uh, involved in tackling the illicit uh, financial flows. Uh, on the extractives dimension, there is a subgroup of the 
working group that had been uh, working for the past several years and had put together uh, the concept of a project that the high level panel had approved uh, in 2019. And uh, uh, the high level panel is actually working quite actively to come up with um, you know, a substantive uh, continent-wide uh, 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 program to, to address uh, leakages in extractives. And the sooner this happens, uh, Sheila, the better, because the reality is that uh, um, extractives are really important for Africa and driving compliance. I'm not talking about all sorts of things that are happening. Uh, driving compliance in itself in a period like now where COVID and uh, the demand for uh, government to really support people, economies, you know, driving compliance and collecting those revenues that are being lost every day is just paramount for the continent. So um, this is interesting because, I mean, uh, you are right. We know that extractives uh, in Africa contribute a significant portion of many uh, countries' uh, you know, public revenue in, in enormous uh, uh, quantums for that matter. But what interests me in your statement is the paramount uh, nature of uh, tax collection. And I wanted to ask you, my sense is that, especially when you speak about illicit financial flows, we talk about uh, money leaving the continent and being repatriated to other countries to benefit the, the corporates and their other activities. What do we know about the level of tax policy compliance by otherwise known as indigenous mining and other extractive companies on the continent. I am mindful that they probably constitute this a relatively small uh, you know, size in terms of the cake, but what do we know about their own compliance? I think Sheila, uh, you, you made a point and I'd, I'd really like to sort of touch on it because on one side, one hears a lot about all sort of discourse on what is not being paid, uh, and this is really correct. But the extractives are just the largest revenues for many, many countries. And unfortunately, data is not easily available, but a 2016 EITI report uh, of African countries participating in that initiative essentially gave more or less, I think 10 countries making between 500 million and $23 billion out of extractives, another seven making between 100 and $500 million and another eight, I think, making below $100 million per annum. So it's significant amount of money and that should also be part of the discussion. And certainly as an African, uh, the, the, the question of, of the efficiency of the use of the revenues from extractives is one that uh, warrants, I think, a little bit more um, discourse than, than is now. Now, to come to your question on, 
on domestic versus international. Really the work, at least as I have been involved in, had been targeting commodities. How do you approach um, tax collection administration for uh, the commodities that are largely collected, uh, that are largely exploited in Africa, that is gold, that is copper, that is diamonds, just to name a few. So if done well, whether domestic or international company, the tax administration should have the systems to enable them to collect you know, uh, compliant revenues from all companies. Hmm. So the, you know, one of the, the things that uh, I've read about recently, you may or may not have, is that uh, some G7 agreement was reached to set what they call a global corporate tax rate, uh, which has also now been adopted in principle at least by 130 countries. Uh, the, the idea being it will help reduce uh, you know, this income lost. Are you aware of this? Is this likely to have any material uh, impact on the desire to maximize tax revenue from minerals? I am aware minerals have been excluded uh, uh, from uh, that, uh, that framework that had been agreed last year. But nevertheless, it is my sense that uh, when this framework will be applied widely, it would really have impact on, on extractives. Essentially, the framework is setting a mechanism for which uh, 15 percent um, uh, taxes are paid either by the multinational company or its subsidiaries wherever it works. What it really means is uh, it calls when it will be applied by many countries, it will call upon countries that are giving tax holidays, zero rated taxes or some um, you know, uh, uh, free tax-free zones, a big question mark, because the way it is set up is if a subsidiary of, of, of a company in Africa is benefiting from tax holidays, the headquarters, wherever it's located, will have to be taxed to compensate for the uh, zero rated tax that its subsidiary Received, i.e., it essentially will mean at some point for countries following these types of policies that they will uh, de facto accept taxes not to be paid within their jurisdiction to be paid in other jurisdictions. So it it really would um, it has lots of implications. It's a new initiative, but uh, in terms of the fiscal regimes. Uh, it, it, it would have material implications once a sufficient number of countries have uh, adopted it. That's one dimension. A different dimension is the tax, whole, uh, the, uh, tax treaties. You know, some companies structure uh, themselves in a way to benefit from uh, tax treaties uh, signed with uh, various countries and uh, so companies locate some functions 
uh, or, or even their headquarters in some of those countries because of the base that those countries or tax-free uh, zones uh, that uh, these countries enjoy. So uh, over time, one would imagine that the number of places where uh, such tax uh, policies are applied will be reduced. So there are, I mean, it's new, but there are really a number of uh, development and uh, implications for the future. Yeah, the, 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 the one bit that interests me is the, the first implication, which is that basically they are saying, sure, if you, for instance, collude with country X for political economy reasons to avoid tax in that country, guess what? You won't get away with it because at least some amount of tax will be paid. But right. in this case, the loser is not so much the company, the loser is the host country that gave that tax-free dispensation. So hopefully uh, it, it, it might help with that political economy issue. Though my sense is that the base is a little low. Uh, there's still for an individual who wishes to uh, benefit at the expense of the country, there's still enough headroom that uh, right. the political economy, uh, it, you know, it, the point I'm making is that it has to be sufficiently painful. And at 15%, if you are getting free tax, you can afford to prefer to pay 15% uh, elsewhere rather than uh, you know marginal rate of 40% or something of the sort. But anyway, I, I, I wanted to ask you, so it's one thing to collect tax efficiently, isn't it? Or for that matter, to, to declare that uh, a company has not paid tax. You know, it, it looks to me like the next phase of this tax injustice is how well we hold the culprits to account. You know, what do we know about this? To the extent that we know uh, which entities are avoiding tax or evading tax, to what extent are they held to account on the continent? Or is it just a question of collecting statistics, but the mechanisms for actually holding the, the account are not there? There are certainly initiatives, uh, including, um, you know, for the, uh, the African Union, I think the common African position on asset recovery, CAPAR, um, another initiative that is joint World Bank and UN system that is called STAR. And there are many, many initiatives out there to, to really try to recover uh, those assets. Uh, Sheila, it is complicated, it is long, and it is uh, certainly in my sense, way easier, um, quote unquote, uh, to really prevent those assets to be sent abroad in the first instance, as opposed to um, trying to recover them, you would understand, I think the auditors, sorry, would understand uh, all the additional complications that will be involved in countries and banks and, you know, all sorts of entities uh, outside of the continent to um, accept or work or cooperate for those assets to be brought back. So there are initiatives um, uh, 
uh, that are underway, um, uh, it is complicated. And it is my sense that uh, let's plug the holes uh, for what is uh, being lost today, tomorrow, and the day after while we continue uh, working on, on uh, recouping what had been lost. The, the, you, you've touched on an interesting notion of repatriation because of course, as you, as you know, uh, ECOWAS and uh, the Central Africa community uh, has been toying with this idea of uh, insisting that a, a large portion of extractive revenue is held with the National Reserve Bank. And I think uh, the Central Africa region has uh, gone ahead with that. Could you just explain why is repatriation of uh, uh, revenue by extractive companies such a, an important fiscal consideration? And why is it uh, causing discomfort among extractive uh, multinational companies? I think it's a monetary dimension in the sense that um, uh, if my recollection is right, the first sort of export uh, from Africa is made of uh, extractives. So essentially it means uh, in terms of foreign currencies and the ability of the central banks to um, uh, cater for the needs for foreign currencies for all sort of import uh, for the continent, they need essentially the dollars. Um, where, where there is an issue, uh, or there are a few of them, one is uh, uh, you know, the financing of the uh, extractives uh, uh, is still largely done by uh, external uh, financial institutions and so they would want to make sure that, uh, you know, the repayment of the capital expenses are done. And number one, number two, um, a number of uh, central banks have relatively limited uh, capacities in terms of Forex. Uh, so you, if you have a, a business that is running 24 seven and all sort of needs uh, both uh, within countries and uh, outside of countries and of the continent, your ability uh, to really get uh, access to your uh, uh, revenues and, and do your business uh, smoothly is a critical part of, of the efficiency of the uh, business itself. So one is not necessarily always guaranteed uh, at least that's how companies would think that uh, they can have access to those funds uh, as, as soon as they need it because of, uh, again, budgetary constraints in many of the countries. And also there are questions of uh, costs involved, you know, in transferring uh, funds in and out. Uh, but, but I think the, uh, overall strength of, of many countries in terms of their foreign currency reserves is one of the big questions that uh, companies would try many times to make sure that they uh, can operate their businesses. And, and so the way they try to do that is to try to get exceptions in having accounts uh, 
uh, in places where those issues uh, do not exist. Okay, so so for for sovereign countries, really they look at it as beefing up national reserves and using their most, uh, if you wish, uh, robust assets, which is ex extractives. But for companies, they see it as a, a potential liquidity risk, uh, right. and uh, based on either lack of uh, reserves, uh, foreign reserves, or for that matter, changing uh, monetary policies and inefficient processes. Let me ask you, because I, I, my understanding is that there's a difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance, though I don't know what it is. Could you just quickly explain what the difference is between those two terms? I mean, basically, it's really the difference uh, is one is legal, the other one is uh, illegal. Tax avoidance is using legal means to reduce the amount of taxes that a company pays. Now, where there is uh, an issue is that a company may decide to, as part of its tax um, optimization, to exploit many loopholes, lack of capacities and systems and processes that we talked about to minimize taxes beyond what the legislator intended. So, i.e. you can talk about uh, something that in this case is legal, but may not be moral, as opposed to tax evasion is really um, uh, using illegal means to reduce uh, the tax payments. Mm. So let me ask you a final question, because I think I have a moral duty to ask this question, even if you may not have the answer for it. I mean, you and I read, and as do others occasionally, about an African head of state uh, cutting off millions of US dollars from extractive revenue into safe havens and leaving the citizens stranded. How much uh, of the work of the AU high-level panel focuses on illicit flows by our masters as opposed to corporates? Well, it is part of, uh, they, they are really looking at it um, um, on all dimensions. I talked about uh, corruption dimension, crime dimension, and commercial dimension where the extractives um, fall under. I think um, really, Sheila, what, what um, I can add to this question is the complexity of the, of the uh, question about uh, you know the fiscal dimensions of uh, of extractives. It is um, uh, certainly my sense that uh, you do have um, uh, two things uh, that uh, are ongoing on the front. You touched upon one is uh, unfortunately extractive industries are still not very well known by very many people. So uh, politicians and are sometimes engaged in behaviors uh, that um, 
malgovernance behaviors, let's call it that, that way. And there are court cases, right? Uh, court cases in for Guinea and the Simandu, for example. So anybody can go on uh, Google and see what happened there. So you have malgovernance and the uh, alleged amounts that uh, politicians or their relative have taken sometimes are just so much, so little compared to the um, facilities, uh, to the, um, 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 you know, all sort of fiscal uh, exemptions that they give in, in return that, I mean, it's just mind boggling at, at some point of time, uh, at, uh, in some cases. So there is the dimension of not being, uh, I mean, even within malgovernance, I don't know if there is a bit of a justice as to what you give should be commensurate, at least what you're, you're getting. And there is a dimension of people who are really um, as informed as uh, you, me, and your auditors that engage for their own reasons on this same behavior. But one way or another, I mean, Africa has now enough uh, capacities, understanding of the industry. In fact, most of the players are Africans. So it's not a question of capacity. And that's where politicians and political will for me is the number one issue to address. After a real political commitment is there, I have no doubt that compliance of payments could be driven from within Africa. That's fantastic. Well, it was lovely speaking with you. Uh, I think that the listeners will enjoy this. You've helped us uh, a lot understand some of the things that are sometimes discussed uh, with passion but unfortunately out of context. Thank you very much, uh, Bubaka, for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you, Sheila, that, that was a pleasure. Thank you.